What's good? It's Big Sue, and I'm hanging out with my girl, Ina Esco. We gonna chop it up about everything. You hear me? Everything on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. It's Corey Hollywood from the Kitchen Guru Catering Company, also from Paul and Rayford's Disco, and I'm hanging with my girl, Double E Ina Esco, on the Verbally Effective Podcast. My guest for episode 70 of the Verbally Effective Podcast is none other than the president of Afternoon Radio, Devin Steele. Devin is a native Memphian and graduate of Central High School. He began DJing as a teenager with an appreciation for all kinds of music, playing saxophone and guitar. A standout high school athlete and five-sport letterman, Devin received a football scholarship from D1 UT Martin as a defensive back using his college experience as a foot in the door to campus radio station WUTM 90.3 and a Thursday night hip-hop mix show in the mid-90s. After graduating, Devin worked his way up with the number one afternoon drive show in the market for over 20 years, leading him into upper management with iHeartMedia, the Memphis market leader. Devin is currently the senior vice president of programming for seven of the top stations in Market 51 with a diverse skill set as a nationally recognized programmer, personality leader, and mixer. Source Magazine's Power 30 for more than six years, billboards people you should know in radio and relationships that span over two decades with industry leaders, labels, and artists. Devin considers himself the conduit for Memphis artists helping them to the next level. Before we begin the pod, I want you guys to take a listen to the upcoming deets on Black Art-ish. Kelvin Woods presents Black Art-ish, the family reunion edition, a night filled with phenomenal artistic talent, unbridled culture, live performances, soulful music, and artistically fly fashions. The event will be Saturday, June 15th, 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Prop Cellar, 2585 Summer Avenue. Come and experience the collective of visual artists as they bring awareness to social issues through their individual creativity. The night will also include signature cocktails, an exclusive VIP experience, a live, on-location, verbally effective podcast, and the opportunity to have one-on-one personal interactions with world-renowned urban artists. Black Art-ish, the family reunion edition, Saturday, June 15th at Prop Cellar. Get your tickets today on eventbrite.com. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco, hanging out with you guys for episode 70. That's right. I had to bring in a heavy hitter (laughs) for episode 70. I got my good friend, my boss here at iHeartRadio. We've been knowing each other for a very long time. I'm talking about Devin Steele. Yeah, you know, I lied a minute ago. I said we've known each other 15 years. Probably known each other over 20 years. Over more than, 20 more than years. Over 20 years. Yes. And it's yes. Uh, you want me to run down the hallway to my office and get some drinks? Like, what would you want? No, no, no. no we good. No we drinks? good on okay. the drinks because you know I can started get a to bring little... some. I started to bring some down. You know, we got the bar in my office. You got a bar in your office? Yeah. Come on now. You got to have a bar everywhere. You got some Tito's in there. I you know. Got some Tito's. I got you know. I got some brown in there. Got some champagne okay. in the in the refrigerator in there. We might take a break and go do that for part two. But Devin, speaking yeah. of that, we've been knowing each other for over. 20 years. Long time. Do you remember when I approached you at the AKA party? Nope. You don't? Nope. You don't? That was like my entrance into radio. Nope. Into I don't. getting in the door. You know how many AKA parties I've DJed? I know, but you know, Lamont <laughs> AKAs were the best AKAs. Yeah. Well, you were DJing an AKA party, and I went up to you, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, Devin, how can I get on the radio? And then you kind of looked at me, 
You were like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm dead serious. I, I, I don't remember that. I don't. Okay. And I then you said, well, if you are serious, uh-huh. I need you to come to the station on Monday morning right. and talk with me and the program director, which was Kago at the right. time. And I did that. And it's been on and ever since. That's a great story. I mean, there are a lot of people these days that that's how these conversations and these opportunities start. Um, you'd be surprised these days at how many people don't know how to approach people, number one, professionally don't know how to have a professional conversation. Yeah. And most importantly, these days, a lot of people don't follow through. That's right. Um, people's follow through is, and like I said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat down on on on, on millennials. You know what I mean? But because I spend a lot of time talking to people, but at the same time, a lot of people's follow through these days in the professional world. There's a very gray area, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's all across not just media, but that's there's a huge transition. There's a huge piece of uh, that's missing right now because a lot of people get it and a lot of people don't though so yeah and you know. with the input of technology you know that's right it, in that's, a professional manner following up they think you can shoot them a dm well that's a lot and that's a lot of it too there's nothing that speaks you know more volumes than a, a nice handshake and a, a decent conversation yeah. to remember somebody's face more than shooting somebody a dm yeah. and you know like these days there's no excuse if you do have that opportunity and say hey come speak with me at the radio station that's an open door invitation yes. follow up with a dm you know, follow with a, you know, um, an email or yeah. something. You'd be surprised. And that's really one of the missing links also is people don't understand good writing and professional writings these days because this is this this phone right here has, oh, this phone. has, has messed up a lot of people. A gift um, and a curse. You know, so, but, you know. But, you know what, but I'm, I'm glad so, you had that conversation and I'm you've done so well for yourself. So. I'm so thankful. Yeah. Because you kind of, you were the person to get me in the door. And I, and I just want to thank you, Dad. You're welcome. Episode so, uh, 70. I appreciate that. And, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Devin. Okay. Let's start at the beginning. All right. Let's start with your upbringing. Okay. Um, you know, I know you talk a lot about Central High School. You know, yeah. I know you love your school. But tell me about before Central, um, about growing up with your family. You know, I'm from a single-parent home. I saw my dad on the weekend. My mom was a school teacher in the old Memphis City schools for over 30 years, taught music and um, special education, too. So she was a very patient person that wasn't at home a lot. I have an older brother who introduced me to DJing, so we were at home a lot. I was a, an athlete all my life, so I always had sports and always had music. Um, you know, and, and growing up, my mom was always very musical, and um, it was just very different. On the weekend, it was a very different experience because my father um, was in advertising and always in between jobs doing something. Okay. Um, at one point in time, he worked for an advertising firm that, if you ever watch game shows at the end, it says these um, prizes were provided by, he worked for a company that actually sold game, sold prizes and, and, and prize packages to game shows. Okay. Uh, so, you That's know, but, interesting. but he was always, uh, my father actually worked at WEVL and did a radio shift in the 70s. He did. Yeah, so, and always, always been into music and all kinds of music. So I was exposed to all kinds of music. Played guitar when I was younger. Played saxophone when I was younger. Always been around all kinds of people. A very diverse, um, you know, midtown, you know, background. On the on the weekend, I go to my dad's house on Faxon. So it's like, you know, it was very interesting. It was a very Memphis. I'm a very Memphis guy. Yes, you are. I'm a very city. I'm a very city guy. So. <laughs> So were you involved? You, I know you say you play guitar, mm-hmm. uh, saxophone. Were you in the band at Central? What did uh, you not, do at not Central? At, not in junior high. I was at Snowden. Oh. I was in band and jazz band in Snowden, but it was very hard even in, even in middle school or what we called then junior high. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad they changed it too. I'll talk about that later on. But um, it was very because I played basketball, ran track, played football. I played all these sports. So doing that and being in the band at the same time was very hard. Mm-hmm. But band came and music always came very easy to me. Mm-hmm. I've always had a very good ear for music when I learned how to read music. Um, you know, I've always wanted to go back and I dabble and dabble on a piano and I can I can you know I can pick things up very easily. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but to answer your question, so I wasn't banned for a while. When I got into high school, though, I was man, strictly sports and nice everything sport. else that came along with it. Football. It's interesting how things, you know, come back around 360 degrees. So, yes. yeah. and you was cold in football. Wasn't I was it? a pretty, I was a really good football player in high school. I, mm-hmm. I played baseball, I ran track, I played football, and I played soccer in high school. I played all four. I, I got some days I'd run a track meet, play a baseball game, and play soccer at night. Wow. So, but I excelled in football. I played offense and defense. I was really fast. Um, I was a hard hitter, and and I was able to you know use that to to get a scholarship offer. Okay, and you yeah. went to UT Martin, and I played football at UT Martin. Okay. Um, as a defensive back on a scholarship, Division One, and um, that was a very interesting part. You know, everybody's college experience is different, but I can I can truly say I had a real thorough, like well-rounded college experience with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, great coaches. Um, I was recruited um, out of high school by a guy, and if you've ever heard me tell my story. Uh, by the name of Jerry Reese, who was the general manager for the New York Giants, wow. won two Super Bowls, one of only African American general managers, who um, uh, was fired a couple years ago. But he was one of only two or three at the at, at that point in time. He's actually from Tennessee, um, but I was recruited out of high school from him. I also played for a guy by the name of Mike McIntyre, who was the head coach at Colorado and the National College Coach of the Year two years ago. Now he's the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. So I've had very strong, you know coaching father type figures in my life as a young man mm-hmm. to help you know mold me to you know for time management for independence for that kind of thing and really playing football in college really taught me a lot of responsibility you know how it is mm-hmm. you know even at Lamoan it's its own community within itself at yeah. Martin you're in the far you know northwest corner of Tennessee mm-hmm. and almost in Kentucky so there's a lot of free time there's a lot of opportunity to get in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. um where you know a lot of times that you know I grew up you know, my football friends were my my family. You know what I mean. So I live with fifty three guys. You know, and I DJ parties on the weekend and 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 did a lot of different things. So I got a chance to um really have the real college experience. And I met my my now wife when I was in college too, which was a very important time for me too. Hey, so Keisha. now let me <laughs> ask you this: uh, Did you have NFL aspirations? I did not. You know, and I've always been a very I've always been a realist. I've I've been given like a real guy given talent. And I realized this when I was in a, a teenager. Like I'm a I'm a great multitasker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been I have an extreme. I, I don't know where I get it from, but I have the ability to like I, I'm a great multitasker. So I, I realized a long time ago that like I enjoyed playing football. About two years into college playing, I was like, you know what, this is okay. But I could see that it was really starting to burn me out, mm-hmm. and. At that level, Division One at UT Martin, you could, we had players that would come from big schools that could transfer down and play immediately. Mm-hmm. So we always had a quarterback from Florida State. The guy played in front of me, uh, transferred from Ole Miss, ended up playing tr- pro for 12 years. So the writing was on the wall. I think it wasn't that I did it just enough to get by, but I think I saw it as an opportunity where I enjoy playing football, but I also enjoy the other things. When I got involved with the radio station and started doing a radio show, I really um, – was very very passionate about that. I'm a very I'm a 125 percent person with everything that I do, um, and I saw that as an opportunity where, you know what, I got to go to football practice at 6 a.m. and watch film. Got to go to class. Got to do this. Got to do that. Oh, got to go to the radio station. I really liked my communications and my broadcasting projects. You know, when I got into television, and of course that was before the University of Tennessee, right before they got the email system. So, still got a chance to do. You know, like you know, I took a Photoshop class, started designing, doing some different things. But I think I realized it's something that clicked that hey, you know what. I got a scholarship. This is an opportunity for me to get my education paid for mm-hmm. 
and kind of open some doors for me and some things I want to do. And, hey, maybe I can make a career out of something. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? And I feel what you're saying. Like, you kind of realize, like, when I, even when I was in college, you realize, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, <laughs> like, yeah. long term. So you kind of put everything into perspective. But when was the first time you picked up some turntables? And who trained you? So, like, how did it happen? So I have a brother that's almost five years older than me. Hey, um, Colin. Really interesting story. My brother is a lot more musical than I am. My brother was in a band and a touring band and was in a band when when I, when I was in high school and college and toured for like 10, 12 years, was in a band and um, had videos on MTV and the whole nine yards. But before that, like we've always been into all kinds of music. We've always been into hip hop. We've always been into R&B and soul in my house. Very, very interesting. You know, my mom was a big, you know, Stevie Wonder fan and Owsley Brothers and Peter Cetera in Chicago and all this different stuff. And, um, you know, we would buy hip hop you know my my brother started buying vinyl on the weekend we get a little extra money he would buy vinyl and i'm like man this is cool you know we buy records look at the artwork you know curtis blow run dmc eric being rockin this is like 85 86 and you know i was really young but he had some friends that dj that were from new york mm-hmm. and there were six or seven brothers shouts out to boosie the guys they, they still work around the city originally from long island and my brother kind of picked it up like, oh, man, this is cool. We never really had the right equipment. So with what we had, we kind of just made made do. And I kind of picked it up after him. He went away to college and left what makeshift equipment that we did have. What did you have then? It was like two mismatched turntables. And I think one Christmas he asked my dad for a, a DJ mixer. And okay. it's a company called Atus, A-T-U-S. And a lot of people have been DJing for a long time. It was like a $99 mixer. Okay. So, But the ability to actually blend music you know, actually came pretty pretty easily. Um, but I just continued anytime I would get money to go to Peaches on Park or Pop Tunes downtown or um, Sound Warehouse, you know. And, and it sounds like I'm aging myself, but you have to remember I started doing this at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am older, but I started doing this when I was a teenager. I started collecting records when I was a teenager. Wow. So I used that and was, you know, I, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a car to my to my junior year in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would borrow my mom's car when I was 16 to go DJ parties in high school. Gent parties, C-Crew parties, D, you know, 380 Beale Street, uh, 21st Century on Winchester, all these different places. So I was DJing when I was 16 years old. I DJed, first party I DJed was um, Crystal Johnson, um, her sweet 16 birthday party in the in the, uh, the attic of her house. You know, so I would DJ everything from backyard parties to pool parties <laughs> to whatever. You was booked and busy. To whatever that I could. Yeah, because the thing is, is, is I, I sat groceries one summer at Piggly Wiggly on Madison. Mm-hmm. And... It took about three months, and I was like, "Man, this is this is killing me. Mm-hmm. This is I want to do something that's fun. I want to do something with the girls. I want to do something where there's people to meet." <laughs> yeah. And um, so I just you know DJ the party, and I was like, "Man, I made a hundred dollars. You know, it was cool. It was a big deal." Mm-hmm. So after that first party, <coughs> like, how did it go? Was it pretty like streamlined, or you had to really figure it out? Well, so back then it was a little interesting because you know if you had all the popular music you were in good shape. But then you also had to have all the party records. What I mean by the party records, like the up-tempo, like um, freestyle and don't stop the rock, like the stuff that Greeks still chant over mm-hmm. and like set it off. Like set it off was, was the party starter then, mm-hmm. you know, before people did a line dance to set it off. But if you had all the popular music, you were in good shape. Mm-hmm. The other part of that was it was hard. Not everybody could say, oh, I'm a DJ and put it on social media and, and lead on or play that role because not everybody had access to number one equipment nor the music. Because the other thing was you also had to have, you know, your slow jams like on a cassette tape, on, on a cassette deck. So you had to take a cassette <laughs> deck with you. So when it's time to play like, you know, the good slow songs, you would play them off a of tape. Nice. Yeah. So it was um it was a lot harder. It was a lot more involved. It was a lot more equipment. 
uh, <clears throat> a lot more load in, a lot more load out. You know, and like I said, you know, you remember it not too long ago. You know, we were still carrying around five, six crates of records mm-hmm. to the club. I remember you guys holding <coughs> all them records in there. Yeah. I'm like, dang, y'all had to get an assistant to help y'all yeah, with I mean, that, and or y'all was doing it yourself. Or doing it yourself. And there's still pictures, you know, pictures of, you know, two, three DJs, and there's 15 crates of records. Wow. And everybody's got their stuff up. So, you know, totally different world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it seems kind of, kind of like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. um, you know, when from a party aspect, the first time I actually DJed a party. You know, to me, it's still incredible that I can go work for three, four, five hours and come home mm-hmm. with a nice check. You know, being a, a DJ, being able to DJ and being pretty good at what I do has um, allowed me an opportunity to do a lot of things for myself and my family, which mm-hmm. I, which is pretty incredible. So Yeah. So after you graduated, UT Martin, when did you get your degree in? I got a communications degree. Got my BA in, in, uh, in mass communications. It's one of those, UT Martin's one of those schools that, you know, a semester and a half before I graduated, I, I could have been a double major. I could have had a psychology degree, too, which I, I should have. But I just wanted to get out. I wanted to get done. Um, and I started doing radio when I was in college. Started okay. doing a Thursday night radio show with um, Joseph Harris. Shout out to Joseph Harris, who's an Omega from UT Martin. Okay. And uh, he's a little bit older than me, a really smart guy. He went to Central, and he was like, look, I'm doing this radio show, and I'm doing this rap show on Thursday night, man. Bring your turntables over there. Let's do a, a Thursday night mix show. Right. On campus, so we would turn the communications building in the radio station into a hip hop station oh, wow. on um, Thursday nights. We still got some tapes, okay. um, but it was uh, really cool because everybody in the dorms would turn the radio on, and um, everybody in that kind of area would turn it on. So that kind of got my feet wet in the radio business from an on air. Were um, you Devin standpoint. Steele back then? No, nah, I was okay. DJ. I was DJ Corruption then. DJ yeah. who? Corruption. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, that's such a cool word. Corruption. Yeah, I still got scratch mats. Matter of fact, I think Howard Q has one of my scratch mats. I need to see if he has them. With I, you know, I'm a, I'm a artist. You know, I, I draw pretty well too. Okay. With DJ Corruption on one of the scratch pads. Yeah, everybody, DJ anybody that knows corruption. me from DJing back then, like know knows me as, D, as DJ Corruption. Right? That's a funny thing. Like Stan Bell still remembers. Like in high school, I was going by DJ Corruption in high school, and I got to a certain point where I was like, you know what? A stupid DJ name is a stupid DJ name. You can't go in a boardroom and go, man, I'm DJ Corruption, and they see this skinny white kid. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you're <laughs> 20 years old you know what i mean like right. you gotta you gotta switch you gotta switch Damn it up it, i never knew that you gotta switch it up yeah so that, okay. like when i was a teenager to the time i was about 19 mm-hmm. um you know I, I i did that so and so you was like nah i need to incorporate Devin in here some kind of way how did you get the name change working um i mean i just i just changed it i thought Steele was the last name and and you know right around that time you know uh uh daniel Steele was putting out all the romance books so when you're in the grocery store, they were all, you know, and they were real in a real elaborate font. I was like, oh, that's a dope last name. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I, you know, I just took Steel, and then there were a couple of radio people already by the name of Steel. And at that point in time, in college, me and my good friend um, Jason, who uh, transferred, we played football together. We went to Murray State. It was in my wedding. I was in his, but now he uh, has a great corporate job in Houston. Um, he was in he was in the communications program at Murray State. He and I would actually get in the car and drive to different conferences. Mm-hmm. So if there was the Gavin conference, it used to be like Impact, mm-hmm. or it used to be like Jack the Rapper. We would drive to New Orleans because that's where all the record labels were and all the DJs. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't have a car. We would get in his car and we would we would drive to New Orleans. And this is like my sophomore my sophomore year of college. It just blindly drove. One year we saved money and we flew to San Diego and went to went to another one in San Diego. And I was like twenty twenty one years old, but we saved up because. That was my early opportunity to network with people 
And I was in college radio. I mean, I was a college radio DJ, which was a big deal back then. But a lot of the people that were doing the same thing then are now the senior VPs and the VPs of these labels and people that are running radio stations and people that I've kept up with through the years. Mm -hmm. And this was, um, you know, this was still early, mid-90s. You got it early, though. It clicked real early for you. It did. You know, I've always figured that if I didn't do something in sports, that I was going to do something in music. Mm -hmm. And I kind of finagle that in the radio and the ability to... You know, still do the things that I do, and and it, like I said, it's interesting how life comes full circle, mm-hmm. and able to do things um, that I enjoy, and incorporate that into my radio, you know, job, and try to instill that in in, in opportunities and create opportunities for other people, and you know, it's just something. You know, I'm all about trying to do things I enjoy. We, look, we've all done crappy jobs. Mm-hmm. We've all done things we don't want to do, and I'm a firm believer. I told some some high school kids the other day that. You know, I'm a firm believer. If you know, if you do something that you love, you'll never feel like you work a day in your life. But even though you do have to hustle and and, and bust your ass, mm-hmm. a lot of times, I mean, I know some people with some real shitty jobs. I do too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, but so to come here every day and you know, I may complain about working ten, twelve hours, or dealing with bullshit. Sometimes it's just it's a I, blessing. I can go home. It is a blessing. I absolutely is a yes. blessing. Okay, Devin. So, what was your introduction to working in radio on a professional level was it Fleming broadcasting yeah it would be you know i can honestly say though like ut martin i ended up being an operations manager at at the at the school radio station really? which was a conflict of interest because it was actually a paying job but i was on scholarship to play football so i ended up uh, having to forfeit my check but from a management position it was just making schedule and making sure there was music on the radio station and that kind of thing but <clears throat> i guess i would consider that my introduction mm-hmm. you know even when i was still in college mm-hmm. Uh, but to have the opportunity to have a job, um, you know, with a, a paycheck every two weeks out of college when I wasn't fun broadcasting, I think that was, you know, my first introduction to having a real job and getting a real check every two weeks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Did you enjoy Flynn Broadcasting? Um, you know, I, I think that I think that every radio company, especially independent owned radio companies, have their special place in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are pros and cons to everybody's situation. Pros and cons of working for a big company like iHeart, no matter who the who the company is. So, like I said, I, I I don't you know that's a hard question to answer. I think the pros and cons to to that situation. I think to be twenty two years old straight out of college, I think it was an awesome opportunity yeah. to get my feet wet. Yeah. Um. I think there was some. I, I made some great relationships with people I still know. I worked with some great people like Kegel. Um. You know, and like I said, I worked with you know Michelle Price and people like that. And there's you know. I was introduced to a lot of people that are still in the business mm-hmm. and some people that aren't, though. So, you know, like I said, I think there are pros and cons to all those situations. And so many people that I talk to that are straight out of college that don't have anything lined up or, you know, it's just it's a different day and different age. We're really lucky, really lucky to be straight out of college and find a job in my in, in, on a career path. So you're right. And you know what, Devin, when we were at Flynn Broadcasting and you got the move to go to Clear Channel, we couldn't wait for you to bring us over there to Clear Channel. We was like, Dave, what's up? You know, that that's that's very interesting you know, kind of topic. And we can talk about it now because it's, you know, it's almost 20 years old. But I mean, the thing is, is I've always kind of I've always seen myself as having pretty good leadership qualities. I played quarterback for a while, you know, and it's just I think I can still move people and get people excited. Mm-hmm. And but I'm a very realist too. Like I try not to, you know, when when Sue was in her situation and she was with another company out of town, mm-hmm. and you know, you had already started working. You know, she was extremely, you know, I thought you were going to give me a job, and I'm like, listen, I can't <laughs> wave a magic wand and make salary. You know, I can't yeah. make money happen. If I could. I would, you know, but at the same time, it was, uh, you know, that was a very interesting situation with me. I was 28 years old. I was ready to go. 
and um, yeah, I had an opportunity, and I actually had to wait out my non-compete. I went to court for it. Wow. And the whole not, yeah, boy. absolutely. I went to court. I I still talk to law and ethics classes all the time. I had to. I tried to beat my non compete and everything. I went to court. I went to civil court for it. Wow. Absolutely, you did have to wait. Man, before yeah. you went on air for yeah. A while. Clear for Channel, a year? Clear Channel gave no six months. Clear Channel gave me an, an attorney, and I had an attorney, and I actually went to civil court. Wow, I physically went into the courtroom and and four times with the judge and. I lost, but it's civil courts, like divorce court. They try to make everybody happy. Yeah. And they go, okay, you can do this, but you can't do that. I understand where you're coming from, you know, but to sit there and, you know, be in a situation where you have people that you used to work with sit there and just dog you out and talk about, yeah. you know, the opportunities that they gave you and how you shit on them mm-hmm. is, you know, is 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 kind of interesting. It's a very, it's a learning experience, though. But, you know, like I said, it's water under the bridge. It's just business. It is. It all those is. folks, you know, we're all in the game together. So, you know, I don't, I, I hold no you know, ill feelings toward anybody. So. Oh, no. And, and, you know, now you are the senior vice president of programming. <laughs> that is an That's amazing feat. It's a fancy word for the operations but manager. But you do so much here at iHeartRadio. Like, I do a lot. From sunup to sundown, you may still be in this building programming or doing different directives. Kind of talk us through your responsibilities in that role. So, you know, as the senior vice president of programming, basically what I am, I'm the operations manager. So I manage all the staff for seven, these seven wonderful radio stations up here. Some people that have been in this building since the 70s and some people have been in here for seven weeks. Yeah. Um, and just make sure that the radio stations are, are you know, the day-to-day operation and make sure it's on. I mean, it's tough because one of the things that I do is I negotiate contracts. But, you know, the cool thing is with a company like iHeart, one of the things that I've had the opportunity to do was a lot of it has gone back to the creative side of it, like mm-hmm. all of our TV commercials, um, a lot of our web presence, a lot of our other things, but a lot of our TV and a lot of our creative, our special events that we do, there's a lot of that that, that, that I'm responsible and have my hand on um, just to make sure. So there's nothing more rewarding for me to see um, the success of individuals, success of radio stations, and the success of our cluster to feel like, you know what, we're doing a pretty good job. And we're recognized, you know, our cluster here in Memphis, and not to, I don't want to use a podcast as, you know, co- company propaganda, but at the same time, it's, it's you know, we have a, a very successful, very unique cluster of radio stations having four urban radio stations besides atlanta radio one um in detroit there's not another cluster of radio stations in a market like that mm-hmm. um you know and a lot of people don't realize that until they step foot outside or have worked outside to understand how important these radio stations are meaning uh, wda how fm v101 and k97 and how important all four of those radio stations are so um it's a very i have a lot of pride like I said, you know, I'm very passionate and very prideful about everything in, in all of our brands. Um, and, you know, that's part of my responsibility is, like I said, there's the livelihood and making sure that the radio stations stay on there. Everybody's happy mm-hmm. helping with those contracts, doing those other things. And the other thing is, you know, making hard decisions, which a lot of people don't understand. You know, we change products on radio stations. We take shows off and move people around or you don't see somebody anymore or hear somebody anymore. Mm-hmm. There's always a method to the madness. Mm-hmm. With companies like this, sometimes we make decisions and make changes knowing something else is going to happen down the road and have to kind of bite the bullet early to be able to do it to make room for another opportunity that's going to be created for somebody else or for the radio station down the road. So it's hard to make hard decisions sometimes, but it's also a very fulfilling position, too. So Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a nice title. I like that senior vice president of programming. It's, it's real cute, <laughs> it's cool. Well, I mean, the other thing is a lot of perks come with it as a company like iHeart. There are several other people that, that have the job that I have, and I've you know, I had a region where I had other stations in the region and other states. Got a chance to travel a lot and spend a lot of time and, and learn from a lot of people. Um, I pick up things for pretty quickly, and I'm a pretty intelligent person, but 
you know, like I said, there are a lot of smart people that work for this company. And, and like I said, there's, you know, so many tools and so many people that, that I reach out for every day and say, hey, man, you're much smarter than I am. How do you do this? How do you do that? So, um, you know, the ability to be able to network and, and keep relationships and build relationships with people within this company that we work for that do the same thing that I do, you know, on a much bigger level, you know, and the Thea Mitchums of the world in New York City and my one of my mentors, Doc Winter, who's over all of our urban radio stations. I just some incredibly smart people that have longevity in this business. So that's been pretty cool, too. So. So with all the longevity that you've had, Devin, what do you think it is that sets you apart from the rest? What is your superpower? Uh, you you know, I I think that I, I do a lot of different things, and I think it, I would like to think that I do a, a few things very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do a lot of different things that aren't necessarily associated with the radio station that I have my hands on that – that also, you know, create multiple streams of income for me too. Like I do a lot of design stuff. I do a lot of video stuff. I do a lot of graphics that a lot of people don't know. I just don't put my name on them or advertise the fact that I do them. Um, I edit a lot of video. I do stuff for people outside the market um, as well too. So I do a lot with branding, do a lot with marketing with a lot of different people. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And, you know, like I'm not a fool, you know, this business is, is, is much different. You know, I like to set myself up you know, to create some other opportunities. So if it does change again in the next five years, you know, nobody's freaked out. You know, we spend so much time doing this, you know, working in radio and there are a lot of dinosaurs in this business. You'd be crazy to think that it's not going to change again in the next five years. I'd like to have the opportunity, you know, um, to say, hey, if something happens, you know, there might be another opportunity, there might be another door that, that opens up. And that's, you know, that's the beautiful thing about about technology and embracing it and, and, and trying to learn these days. So Yeah, definitely. Even with um, the incorporation of syndicated radio shows. Mm-hmm. You know, we have syndicated morning shows. Yeah. We, we do on we have another local morning show, which I think is awesome, yeah. uh, with Mike Evans. But how did that change the game um, at the time that syndication started? Uh, I mean, syndicated radio shows have been, been around forever. I think people... What people don't realize, and if you really think about this, I'm going to tell you something very simple that will make you think about things, is we, we watch syndicated television we have since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like Everybody's watching the same thing. Um, Family Feud, uh, the Today Show, you're watching it an hour behind you know, when it happened. Um, any of these other you know, people that do stand-up talk shows or magazine-type talk shows, that's a syndicated show. It's the same thing with radio. The content is just different. Well, now the lines are skewed. Well, the content is the same because in radio, I mean, part of what you do to promote yourself and your brand is you want to show people, you want people to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as me. If I'm doing something special on my show in the afternoon, I'm going to promote the hell out of it. I'm going to let you see it. Or every once in a while, I'll have a video or go live on Instagram. And that's the, that's why people like Facebook Live and Instagram mm-hmm. Live. Love it. Because what you're doing is, yes, Memphis is a very local, tangible market. People want that tangibility. And people don't like change. Mm-hmm. So. When you wake up in the morning and you're used to hearing radio show A and something's different, you're thrown off because, oh, my God, what'd they do with this person? Oh, they're mm-hmm. going syndicated. People will complain, but you turn on Sports Center every day and you see the same thing. Like, it's the exact, it's the exact same thing. There's no difference. Yeah. There's no difference. We've been doing it. It's just people, I think, get confused with what they're watching and what they actually hear. It's really the same thing. It's just two different kinds of content that are, that are cross-platform now. Yeah. And speaking of content, um, social media, you talked about visuals. Um, how do you utilize social media for, I know you talked about from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. but from your, a personal level, how do you utilize well, social One of media? the things that, that I did and I recognized a long time ago and I was telling you about it in college was I taught myself how to use Photoshop, like mm-hmm. taught myself how to use graphics, 
I taught myself how to shoot video, taught myself how to edit video. Like, you know, there is nothing that you cannot learn. And I just told these kids this at Mitchell High School two days ago. I was telling you about it, mm-hmm. that you can teach yourself how to do anything from YouTube if you've got the time and you have the patience. Some people are better teachers than others. But at the same time is if, I, if there's something I want to teach myself or an effect that I want to teach myself that somebody's using to edit, I'll go on YouTube and I see how this person does it, who's a trusted person. Mm-hmm. So I would tell people all the time is stop depending on other people. And I think a lot of that comes, you know, from me being – the youngest of all my friends when I was younger, like I never had a car when I was in high school. So I would always sit and have to wait on somebody to come and pick me up. And I would wait for somebody to come pick me up. I hate depending on other people. And I hate that, I use that, that you know, the word hate, but it's just like I, I, I do not like waiting on other people for anything. So I teach myself, how to, I got tired of waiting on people to do flyers or graphics or having to outsource them somewhere else. So I taught myself how to do them myself. Um, same thing with video when I was like, man, I'm gonna do something totally different than what other people are doing. We started doing the marketing for like social therapy, which was one of the brands that, that Marvin Todd and I came up with nine years ago. And we started, you know, doing the quirky videos or we came up with the kickback. That's a brand that I came up with. And me, Sue and Houston and Superman, you know, were like, all right, we're going to shoot videos for every time we do a kickback to do it kind of different. Mm-hmm. Or I think we were one of the first people in the city that probably 10, 15 years ago started putting our faces and pictures of ourselves on mm-hmm. flyers, which nobody had ever really done it. So I think that, you know, it's important from a branding standpoint, I think nowadays people want to know what you look like mm-hmm. on top of what you sound like and what you stand for. But at the same time, it's like whatever you can do that's different, that's going to set yourself apart, I think, um, is is the key. You know, embracing the technology and staying ahead of it is, is key. And the more you can do yourself and unless you have to depend on other people, I mean, you know, knowledge is power, not to sound corny or cliche. But at the same time, is if you know how to do everything, you don't have to depend on anybody. You're, you're a one man wrecking shop mm-hmm. and you can do everything yourself. That's true. That's true. Um, teaching yourself. I mean, I'm the same way, Devin. Do you think like the generation that we have now, like the millennials, Gen Z, do you see a lot of them, you know, taking that extra step to learn for themselves? You know, there are a lot of really smart people who are who are that that next generation. A lot of a lot of people that are in college that I talk to. I think a lot of times they are quick to shit on, like for example, radio. For example, but but I don't think they understand the importance. And I'm going to say from Memphis, the importance of 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 radio in Memphis. Memphis. Radio in Memphis is an extremely like I was telling you, like it's an extremely important, extremely special place when it comes to radio. And people that have lived other places, you don't really you don't really get that. Mm-hmm. You may get one radio station or two radio stations, but to have, you know, four or five that people people on radio that people grew up with still that have there's been no turnover. And a lot of that comes from the market and there's not a lot of turnover in the market. I think Memphis is losing like what? Three, five, six percent of people that are moving away. I think it may be eight. But the problem is with Memphis is we're not getting those people back. We're not we're not getting new people in the city. That's true. As opposed to somewhere like I'm going to use Charlotte, North Carolina, who where the banking industry is. Like they have a you know 25 percent of the market turns over every three four years. Mm-hmm. That's pretty staggering. Yeah. But that's why the conversation is when you meet with. And I'm going to come back around and answer your question. But that's why the conversation when you talk to people is immediately people go, Hey, what high school do you go to? Because they base their conversation based on what high school you go to. If it's, oh, you know my aunt, you know my cousin, did you go when Coach so-and-so was there? Because that's all they have to base the conversation on. Mm-hmm. Or if it's for you, you're Greek. It's like, I know you're AK, where'd you pledge? You know, like, I'm on one on. It was like, okay, well, where do you, you know? So, but, but what I'm saying is there are a lot of smarter, younger people these days. But <clears throat> I think when it comes full circle from the things that they learn and the things that they do very well, like, they're very technical. Like, there are a lot of people in college that are very good in front of a, a television, in front of a microphone, in front of a camera. But at the same time, when you show them the power to be able to use all these things together with radio as one of those tools, mm-hmm. I think it comes back around. Because the thing is, is 
you know, people will say that, oh, well, anybody, it's like having a conversation. They'll say, well, um, you know, I can be on the radio too. I just need the internet. No, that's I not hear the, that a lot. That's, that's not the radio. Like, <laughs> you're, you're on the, that, that's something that's on demand. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody has to go on and has to click. click a link to listen to you. Yeah. I can tell you how many people using these microphones that are reached on these radio stations a week right. that hear us. And the true testament to that is not only the analytics and the data that we have from the, the tools that we have, but it's walking through Kroger and somebody says, oh, man, you said on the radio last week, I, I heard you last month say something to somebody. You'd be like, damn, like, it's really crazy. Mm-hmm. You don't really realize how many people are listening to it. But, like, but, but it's for real, for real. So the younger generation, like, they get it. Like I said, there's some really talented, smart people out there. But at the same time, I just think that they need to listen not only with their, their, their own ideas, but listen to other people's ideas and listen to, like, how people got to where they were mm-hmm. and and incorporate that into their own journey as well, too. And it can make them a more powerful person. So That's true. That's true. And and like you mentioned, Devin, um, this generation now is very visual. You you mentioned, um, you know, with your other brands, with uh, making the videos for the kickback, whether it's social therapy. Now, when you post these videos and people that have never seen Devin Steele and they see that you are a <laughs> white guy, what yep. do they say? What you know do what? you get? Believe it or not, I, I still do get that. You do. And I'm taking back some. I mean, because a lot of people, you got to think, like, people, not everybody, not everybody's on social media. That's true. And I tell people this all the time that, you know, and everybody in this room is heavy on social media and understands Mm -hmm. how to use it. But when you explain to people, it's like saying, telling somebody, um, well, I don't, somebody will tell you, I don't advertise on the radio because I'm on social media. And you're like, okay, so what does that mean? How many people are you really reaching? So many people don't understand how to use the analytics of how many people they're really reaching, how many people are actually seeing their message, how much garbage is really out there, because people don't really pay that close attention. So I'm saying that to say that I think we also forget also that we think everybody's on social media. Everybody's not on social media. So I do get that every once in a while. You know, I think it's still... I think it's still, I'm never taken back. I still think it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, the thing is, there's so many, you know, white people in, 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 uh, you know, in urban, in, in black media and, and vice versa, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are plenty of, you know, African Americans that work on country radio stations, yeah. and there's plenty of white folks who see them for the first time, like, oh, man, <laughs> I did not know. Your name's Malcolm, what? Damn it, I get so many people that may have never seen you, and they were like, he's black, right? I'm like, no, Devin is white. And they cannot believe it. Yeah. You get yeah. that a lot. I mean, I, I, not I as still, much as you used not to, as much probably. as you know when you know before a lot of the visual stuff. Yeah. Um, you know that 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 came about though, but it's been yeah. it's been um, you know it's been a really it's been a really interesting journey. It's been you know this last year has even been even more interesting with with our um, presidential leadership. Oh wow. Um, and you know it's very interesting. I've you know with my position, you know you do hear or you have you know, seen or heard, you know, backroom, backdoor conversations that you kind of scratch your head and look at people like, and it's important, you know, for people to get it to stand up and say, you know, that's not right. You know, and I have been that person um, to do it before. Uh, but, you know, like I said, you know, it, it's a, uh, it's, it's all, it, it's been interesting for me. It, it really has. Yeah. So, you know, not only with radio, but even with your family, you're in an interracial relationship. So, yeah. you know, you have kids that yeah. are mixed. Have you ever dealt with? Absolutely, all the time. All the time. What do I mean, you been, deal with? I've been married seventeen years. Um, you know, my wife is a very strong, very independent. Yes, she is. Um, very smart, very analytical um, person, and that's you know, she's definitely we're definitely yin and yang. You know, um, we have these conversations all the time. But you know, being you know the father for four kids, yeah, of interracial kids, you know, who you know, 
my youngest son, who's seven, you know, is is a black man. You know, I mean, he's seven years old, and that's who he will identify with, and that's who he is. But I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's what you that's what you get. And there's certain things that you know, I have to, you know, I have to be cognizant constantly of different things and how he has treated. Uh, much differently growing up, especially you know in a city like Memphis, mm-hmm. um, it, it's very very different. Um, you know, and every you know maybe maybe once a year out, you know something I'll say, oh man, you know I never really thought about that. You know, from my perspective, I don't say that. You know, there are a lot of things that I can't relate to because I'm not black. You know what I mean? Uh, but at the, I've been exposed to a lot of different kinds of people. But at the same time, the bottom line is I am not black. Mm-hmm. I'm married to a black woman, and I see and I I, I experience things, and I see her experience things. Mm-hmm. And we talk about them um, all the time. But like I said, this, especially this past year, it's been a very, you know, different time mm-hmm. in in the country. Um, you know, and you see it not only here, but you see it when you travel a lot, too. You know, we we travel abroad all the time and see it, though. But, you know, it's a it's a it's an interesting sociological experiment. I'm, I don't want to say it's not an experiment, but it's sociologically it's interesting. Um, it's there's never something once a week will happen. Really? To open my eyes, yeah. Yeah, and and I know, like, you know, even with your kids, you just always want to protect them from things. So I know they lean on mom and dad for support and advice. Are are they good? Are they good? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing um, that, you know, you can't, be, you can't be blind to the fact that everything's not all happy. You know, mm-hmm. people teach their kids fucked up shit. Yes. And it's extremely learned. Um. You know, especially, you know, I hear stories and I, not, none of my kids go to private school. They're all public school kids. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, you see and you hear about all these horror stories that happen at all these different places. But, you know, a lot of this shit that these kids have is learned yeah. from their parents and they bring it to, to, to school. And it starts, you know, it starts early and you yeah. can see it and you hear about the stories and things that happen. And then in middle school, it gets real. Oh, um, yes, it does. You middle know, and then it, and, it, and, it, and it goes on. But it just... It just lets you know of how evil and how many um, extremely disrespectful people there are, and and you know the lack of home training, training, um, you know, and it just the racism that is yeah. out there to this day. It's it's yeah. it's real. Yeah, and you mentioned um, the political climate right now. Um, twenty twenty is around the corner. Are you backing anyone in particular? No, nah, I don't. No, nah, I mean, there's so many people. I mean, I listen to it. I mean, so but many I, people. P- politics is not my strong suit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can I educate myself enough where I can have that conversation on anybody, you know, on anybody's views as it gets closer and they kind of people get weeded out. I mean, it'll be interesting to know. It's just I got so trumped out. I think everybody did you. every day you would go home and it's just <laughs> and it's very, you know, it 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 weighs on you. Yeah, it weighs on you big time because, you know, for a while it was just, we were almost at a, it. It seemed like we were at a point of helplessness where it doesn't matter what would happen in Part of the same conversation we're having about racism in, in America, in, in in the city, not just the South, but you know, is it gives people a false sense of I can do what the hell I want to do because I can get away with it and say what I want to. Yeah. Um. And that's a really dangerous place to be because the flip side of that is you can say what you want to, but you're also open to get your face busted open. Um. <laughs> you know, it it at the same time too. So and then it parents teach kids, kids say what they want to. It's a it's a whole you know it's uh man. It can get ugly. I just hope things I hope things get better. You know, they say things always get worse before they get better. So yeah. so we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I remember um, you know, from time to time we'll have a jock meeting and I remember when he was actually put into office and like you said, it is just trumping the news every week. And yeah. I think I posed the question to you and Sue, can I 
I'll say how I really feel about Trump. Y'all was like, go ahead. Just do it professionally, but say what you want to say, Ina. And I think that there's um I think there's room as as broadcasters on commercial radio to, you know, people want to know how you really feel about certain things. Yeah. Uh I think that, you know, in, in politics, especially in the climate, I think is important. Uh I mean the thing you have to be careful of is how you really feel about you know, some of the music that's on a radio station as well, too. I mean, obviously, people know that we listen to a lot of different things. Like, I'm not I'm not playing Kodak Black in my car right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the 21 Savage mixtape is not on in the truck right now. But but I'm just saying, like, that's a job versus, uh, you know, how we really feel about certain things. So I think it is important. Yeah. Think about me. You know, one of our radio stations is a conservative radio station that's 40 years old up here. Yeah. And I'm, a, I'm admin on, on their Facebook page. Think about the shit that I see. Oh, and the do. questions that I have to answer and the people that I have to help manage. But like I said, there's a level of professionalism that you have to take. You know, you got to put your big drawers on. You got to put your rubber boots on. Yeah. And, and you got to take your, you know, check your personal, you know, at the door and say, look, I got a job to do. I got a job to manage, you know, and that, that's something that would never get in the way. I'm not going to let anybody disrespect myself, <laughs> my family, anybody that, that we work with. But at the same time. Yeah. You know, you got to manage that situation. So. Now, speaking of the climate of music right now, I actually saw Meg The Stallion post today. Mm-hmm. Um, are are you a Meg The Stallion fan? Man, I, I'm, I'm actually you rocking with Meg. I'm actually a Meg. You know, she was up here about a month ago. Was she? Yeah, right. Really early doing promotion, and okay. um, I didn't I didn't put her on my show. Mike T put her on. Okay. <clears throat> and um, I actually denied the the interview because she was super new. And I didn't want to interview her and hold on to it. And I knew she was as talented as she was, but I had a great conversation with her and mm-hmm. took a picture with her. I mean, she can wrap her ass off, number one. And a college graduate, right? Like, she's College really graduate, smart. and then she can sing. Like, she's pretty much a total package. And, like, hip-hop needed that. Like, we needed, like, hip-hop needed Cardi, but hip-hop really needed Megan Thee Stallion yeah. to kind of even things out because, you know, she's kind of like the total package. She's a total package. <clears throat> and in her post today, she posted, um, why is it that, if if she was like, I'm a female rapper. If I sounded like Playboy Cardi and did all this mumble rap, everyone would have a problem with it. But you guys are loving Playboy Cardi and all this mumble rap. But for women, women are set to a higher standard as rappers. That was the point she was making about double standards. Mm. What do you think about that? I mean, there's always going to be a double standard. I mean, especially in hip hop, and it, and and that's tough as a woman. I was looking at the um at the source ballot the other day, and you know, a couple of years ago, it was like two, three people in the category. Now it's like eight or nine, which is great because it's just great for the music. Mm -hmm. It's just great for the music. Now, do I agree with everything she's talking about? Absolutely not. Do I think a lot of the shit that she says is not great for... 15 year olds. It's so nasty to. with it. <clears throat> it's pretty nasty. It's, as well as the city girl. But but the thing is, like, yeah, city girl a lot of the, and, and Cardi too, but it's just like a lot of the things that are being said right now, like, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of, we've seen this before and it goes through its phases. Yeah. You know, like you're not going to nobody's going to listen. I'm not going to say that, but it's like, you know, is there room in the next couple of years for a conscious female rapper? Mm. Probably mm. could be like, where's the female J. Cole? <laughs> I don't know where she Right. So <laughs> and I'm not saying everything J. Cole says is conscious, but I'm just saying there's yeah. it opens up the doors for everybody. So. So what is Devin still listening to in the car? Uh, man, I listen to everything. You know, I'm a huge world music fan. I listen to a lot of reggae. I listen to a lot of Afro beats. I listen to 80s. I listen to 90s. I listen to talk radio. Mm-hmm. Listen, to, I love sports radio. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I listen to like a lot of throwback uh, hip hop stuff because that's where I mean that's where I come from. You know, I'm from, you know, I'm a tribe called Quest, mm-hmm. Big Daddy Kane. You know, hey. and not not necessarily that old, but you know, like you know, a tribe mm-hmm. called Quest. And you know, I've been watching the um, if you've been watching the the Wu Tang mm-hmm. um, on Showtime on Showtime. You know, I mean that's that's where I'm from. Like I've got you know, I've got hip hop stories. Like I've, I like I there's a lot of people that I knew and a lot of relationships that I built. 
you know, at that point in time when I was very young, yeah. you know, as a, in, in the DJ game. So it's, um, you know, like I said, it's interesting to see things come full circle. And I think it, I, I think it's helping their popularity. Yeah. You know, Wu-Tang, for example, you got a lot of different personalities and a lot of different people. Now they're doing more tours together. I love it. Doing different things, man. Me too. So, you know, that I mean, I, I kind of switch it up. Some days yeah. I just ride home in silence some days. I'm not going to lie to you. If I had a long day, I, I ride home in silence. I know. I ride home in silence. Man, I'll put, I, man, I will put, I'll put Joel Osteen on the satellite. Get some motivation. Man, get some motivation. <laughs> I listen. I listen to XM Chill, like the house joint that's mm-hmm. on there. You know, it sounds like you walking through H and M shopping. Wow. You know what I mean? Like I listen to all kinds of stuff. I got a, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very diverse um, ear when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah. So, and speaking of like hip hop, did you know that uh, they just named a street in Brooklyn after Biggie today? I it's saw like that. official. I saw that. Christopher Wallace yeah. Avenue, I believe. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I know you're a Biggie fan. I, I'm a Biggie fan. I've always been a Biggie fan. When I was a um. Uh, sophomore at UT Martin, I tried to book Biggie for UT Martin for a concert. Um, wow. What and, year was that? <clears throat> uh, this is probably 94. Oh, right when it getting really yeah. good. Yeah, so, that. I mean, he was on fire, and it was just, you know, they, they I, I got to the right people, and the couple people that I know today, of course, they didn't they didn't remember me then, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I was just pretty persistent trying to get in touch with the right person, but the date didn't work out, and then, I guess, six, eight months later, uh, shout out to Bob Wimbush. We had him at Denim and Diamonds when I was doing Denim and Diamonds on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And that was Bob Wimbush show and, and uh, me and Howard. So I had a chance to meet him then when he did that uh, Christmas 95 show mm-hmm. at uh, Martin, which was, I mean, at, um, at, at Denim and Diamonds, which was pretty, which was pretty cool. So, What yeah. are some of your favorite interviews that you've had with celebrities over um, the years? If you could name top three favorite interviews, what would they be? You know, as, as much as um, the craziness with Russell Simmons' life, um, I've always enjoyed talking to Russell Simmons. Uh, probably one of my favorite people to talk to, mm-hmm. um, just in general when it comes to hip hop, is Kevin Lyles, mm-hmm. who's a great who's become a pretty a pretty good friend of mine. I talked to not not you know probably not in the last year, but that I talked to when I see we just kind of pick up the pieces and kind of talk about things. And he was real involved with the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. He sat on the board for a while here. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't know that. Um, know that. Who else is a is a uh, really good interview? Um, Shoot, let me think. Put you on the spot. I always, yeah, you know what? I, I like, I like talking to, um, I like talking to people that that aren't necessarily a challenge of myself, that aren't necessarily like go to easy music people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I interviewed Chadwick Boseman right after he played um, Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. which was a really cool interview because we were talking about yeah. HBCUs and the college experience, and he was talking about, um, uh, he had just done the James Brown movie, it wasn't out yet, so we kind of talked about this is pre Black Panther, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I, that was a pretty cool pretty cool interview it was a, it was a good conversation so i always think it's pretty mind opening to have conversations with people that aren't directly re- related to the music and these days with artists we're talking about this last night the lma show with a, a record label friend of mine is it is so hard to have a lot of conversations with artists because a lot of these artists don't have the media training they don't care about radio they don't they don't want to do it so it's just like interviewing them it's like talking to Man, it's it's really tough. Are the labels not putting any into their budget? For no, because they it, no, it's not about it's not about budget. Just things happen so quickly because the way people are getting record deals, they're looking at streams, they're looking at data, yeah. and they're signing people and they put it out and then they want to promote them and then they send them to do radio, and they've never been in a radio station, so it's just like they have no sense of of being on time. They have no sense of you know what to say or that interview and that. But that's the difference between what makes you, you know. When you think you're a good interviewer and you're not trying to pull something out of somebody or learn something about somebody beforehand. Trying to prep, trying to get the information before, so you're like, hey, you know, I heard that you don't like spaghetti. What's up with that? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, and um, 
you know, so I, I've always enjoyed interviewing people that aren't necessarily, um, you know, people that do that do interviews. Mm. You know, I had posed a question uh, to my Instagram followers, and um, I said, you know, I'm interviewing Devin Steele. Well, he's going to be on the podcast. Do you all have any questions for Devin? Did you get some questions? I, I got a few questions, wow. and one of them was, they want to know, what is Devin Steele's favorite pastimes? My favorite pastime? Yeah. Like, like, like outside of all of this. Like, what do I enjoy doing? Yes. You know, um... I enjoy traveling. I mean, you know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoy traveling. I like traveling. I like you know, traveling overseas. Um, I like going different places and kind of going off the beaten path. I love to turn my phone off and just you know do different things and you and, actually and, turn your phone and, off? and travel. Yeah, if I, man. When I travel, I turn my phone off in a minute. Yeah. Um, I would say really traveling um, would probably be one of my favorite things um, to do. Uh, you know, the other thing is like I, I like. This might sound kind of crazy, but I like you know I like new challenges. Like I started the DJ camp last summer. Yes. That's something I always wanted to do. This is the second year doing that, and I did that pretty successfully with the help of everybody, and and it was pretty cool. But I was really proud of myself. It's probably one of the, the biggest things I've been more proud of in the last five or ten years. Was so, tell us more about putting your that DJ together. Camp. So Camp DJ uh, Memphis is there've been a couple other places, and um, I got some ideas from um, one in the Bay Area. But I could never get right the curriculum, so I actually sat down and wrote a curriculum for a DJ camp for a week, and kind of put it together and was like, I'm gonna do it for teenagers, not for adults. Let's do it for a week. I want it to be fun. I want it to be cool. But I want to teach these kids how to DJ. What ended up was a, a, about a day and a half into it, I was like, man, these kids are into it. But you know, between the ages of 11 and 17, it's kind of a big spectrum. And what I was learning was it wasn't necessarily uh, all about the DJ. It was about self confidence. Mm-hmm. So. By the end of the camp, I mean, these kids were laughing, standing up, joking. Um, it had really come out of their shell, had really kind of grown up in front of our eyes because DJing, I mean, is a performance. Mm-hmm. A turntable is basically a musical instrument. And putting people on the spot, like, it really built their self-confidence. So we taught these kids how to DJ, and it's basics. But, you know, we um, introduced them to, you know, we started with turntables on vinyl. We moved on to controllers, the different software, do a thing on responsible social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, about marketing, about branding, um, and different things. And then on Friday, um, the parents come and they actually do a showcase for the parents. Mm. So, And it's not a cattle call. It's not a hustle. It's not a money thing. Like, you know, we took 15 kids, and we limited it to 15. I was going to try to do 20, but I think we, we scholarshiped a couple of kids this year. We have, actually have 17 this year. Good. So, um, and it also gives uh, opportunity to, you know, there's several of our other DJ friends, um, Brian Burnett, uh, you know, exclusive mm-hmm. Um, Crystal Mercedes is helping out this year because she's got, she's got a good um, a foundation and and you know organization um, and a great DJ uh, Big Sue of course and several other people and you know it, it's interesting because people are like oh how how can I help how can I be down how can I do this you know and the other, I had to explain to people that look these are kids and in. I'm responsible for these kids for this week, so I just don't want to bring Everybody. anybody and a bunch of adults in here, you know, and introduce them to the kids, you know. And we we have you know cool snacks throughout the day. We're actually doing a field trip this year. Um, we are going. We're going to go to um, David Porter Studio and oh, uh, show them the studio, and then probably come to the radio station too and show them that because there are a lot of people that are interested in that though. So um, it's been it's been a really in, it's been a really interesting thing. I had um, got a really nice note last year from Harold Ford Jr. Mm-hmm. A handwritten note last year, just out of the blue. I haven't seen him in a long time, like man. I haven't seen him in a while. Congratulations on the DJ camp, watching from afar. It's just good stuff. Thank Keep God. it going, you know. And it's just, you know, things like that. But I was at the end of the week, like I was, I was whipped, um, and I felt like I, <laughs> I felt like I, I built a house. But um, you know, it was really fulfilling, and 
and everybody's kind of pitched in. You know, mm-hmm. interesting thing is also is, you know, I have a lot of friends, and I commend everybody who are who are teachers and educators. Like, it's very hard to teach. Not everybody can teach. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can talk, but everybody can't teach. Man, yeah. it's not for everybody. Yeah, to gain uh, a, a child's attention, to, exactly. You have exactly. to be engaging. So, you know, you know, get a couple of sponsors, and like I said, we have food every day, and um, you know, it's 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 a, it's a lot of work. The DJ can't, but it's one on one. And group work too, and it, it's really you got to come by there, and you ought to come by there and see it. It's it's really cool. I'm gonna come by. It's next yeah. week. Uh, it's, uh, June third through the seventh. June third through the seventh. June third through yeah. the seventh, and uh, Camp DJ Memphis website's I'm up. Stop we, by. I was having some website issues okay. last forty eight hours, but it'll probably be up by by close of business tomorrow. So wow, I love yeah. it, Devin. Now let me ask you this before we get into the verbally effective minute, which is a new feature I'm gonna try Uh-oh. on you. The hot seat. <laughs> but yes, yes, you already know. Before we get into that, I do want to ask you this. Have there been any mistakes that you think that you've made in either media or being a DJ? Just a time to be real transparent now that could probably help someone else. Some mistakes that you may have made over the years. Um, You know, I probably, I'm the first person to admit if I was wrong about something. Like, I'm, I've always been, you know, very upfront about that. And I tell people all the time, you know, I wish... You know, I've tried to do as much as I as I've could um, over the years as a as a cheerleader for the city and the music movement for the city, and I have been. What people have to understand also is a lot of times it's our job. We can't play everybody's music on the radio. Yeah. Um, I wish probably earlier on I would have created some more opportunities uh, for people to get a foot in the door. Um, I also think that I probably you know wish I, I could have done a better job of. Um, creating inroads with with some more universities to be connected to the hip with their communication programs too, but you know that's also a two way street too mm-hmm. with the universities as well too. A lot of them don't they don't really teach radio anymore. They they teach digital media. They don't they don't teach radio, but they don't really understand what we do behind closed doors. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's been something I've also been working on um, as well too. Um, and you know I think that yeah, I think there are certain people that I work with every day that if I went back. If I could go back in time, I would try to maybe change, um, you know, maybe give some more people, you know, a little bit tougher love to try to grow them up and from opportunity. Uh, I mean, these days, you know, I, I do I write all kinds of emails and push, you know, their air checks and, and demo reels and everything that I can to try to help people. But at the same time, I think there are, you know, a handful of people that have just kind of you know, just kind of chilling or content with where they are. And if they're not, they see it as an opportunity to bitch and complain about it. But at the same time, it's like you have to help yourself. Yeah. So I think from that aspect, I think if I could go back maybe 10 years, mm-hmm. do a better job of that, I, I think. And I'm, I think I'm still growing in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is like from, from outside the radio station, I've been, you know, I'm a really good father and I'm a pretty good husband, I think. But at the same time, I think that um, I'm a very, you know, my wife told me earlier today, she was like, you know, you're, you're still really nice to people. Mm-hmm. Like I've been, you know, they're, been people who have who have gotten over or you know maybe treated me like shit or done certain things that I've kind of like pushed it on the rug and I'm like oh it's okay mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing not just my personality so if I could go back 10 years there may be two or three people that I probably wouldn't help the way that I helped mm-hmm. because we have a we have a real issue in the city and a real problem with reciprocating um and it's not all about you know getting the credit it's more about let me put you in a position to win too 
You know what I mean? And then, you know, what do you want out of this? Do you want to get paid? Do you want the credit? What do you want out of it? And that's one thing that I, one thing that I think social media has also added fuel to the fire in those situations because, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, folks, you know, if you want to call it high capping or whatever you want to call it, you know, high side and capping, whatever people call it this week. <laughs> I mean, there's so many people that, that fake it till they try to make it, you know what I mean? But if you follow people home and see where they park their car at night, it's a totally different story. You know, don't don't get it fucked up by looking at somebody's highlight reel on Instagram every day. Yeah. Go on a Google Map because it's not because it is because it is it is it is not for real. But you know, like I said, you know, back to, back to your question. You know, I've tried to help a lot of people. So if I could go back ten years, and there are probably a couple of people that I probably wouldn't help um, the way that I did, and try to maybe create or do some things that I'm doing now, maybe ten years ago. Okay, thank you for your honesty. I sure. felt what you just said, Devin. I really felt that. Now it's time for the verbally effective minute. I'm going to fire off some rapid fire questions. Okay. And I need you to spit from the dome. What's the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? All right. Okay. Psychology test. Uh, I don't know about that. It's, it's really easy, though. Your questions are really easy. Who are some of the DJs that have impacted your life and why? Give me three. Man, you know what? I will say it. Uh, let's see. Jazzy Jeff. Kid Capri on a national level. Um, Shouts out to Howard Q for really organizing things as a business. He's probably one of the first people that was older than me that really that I really saw like organize a, a, a nightclub situation or go into a situation to create something from nothing. Um, R.J. Groove at a very very early age gave me a job when he was 24 and I was like 18 to DJ at a nightclub and we're still good friends to this day. Uh, when he owned the Groove Train, I would probably say those um, those four people. All right, awesome. Now, who are some of the up-and-coming DJs that people need to look out for and why? Uh, man, you know what? There's a bunch of them out there. Um, shoot, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these younger guys. <laughs> a lot of these why are you laughing, Zeke? Because I'm just trying to take of names <laughs> off the top of my head. There are a lot. Like, um, like I really like what Tuka's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's like somebody who's. Goes from media to to clubs. Yeah, and, DJ Tuke. And yeah, DJ Tuke, and, and he he DJs on a pop radio station, but he can also turn it on. And he came from University of Memphis. I remember him when he was at a, at a really uh, early age, just getting his his uh, feet wet, getting his foot in the door. Um, really like what he's doing. He's probably one of my favorites. And somebody else that's out of market that works for us in the market is Ready Rob yeah. from Nashville. But he mixes with us. But he's you know he's in his early twenties, and he's a guy that gets out. And if I go to meetings in New York, he'll be in New York. When I go to BET, wow. he'll be in LA. Like he gets out and he he moves around, and that's kind of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Kind of what you have to do. What so. about the ladies? Um, you know, from a ladies' perspective, um, I like Crystal, even though she's mm-hmm. she's been in the game for a minute because mm-hmm. um, she's multifaceted. Um, I like um, I like Ashley, mm-hmm. um, Alpha Whiskey, just because you know her passion and her her play selection. Um, and I think she gets it from a marketing standpoint, how to market herself. Yeah. Uh, I like her. I like uh, DJ. Uh, what is it? DJ. She, is it nine oh one? What's her name? What's her name? Isn't that her name? Does a lot of corporate stuff. I don't know about her. She's up and coming. Uh, She's I, don't, new. I don't know. I may have a. I may have her name wrong. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Okay. And I mean, and the reason why I'm gonna tell you why it's so tough on names because on social media, man, it's like a million. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so last question, Devin. Memphis celebrates 200 yeah. years today, the the bicentennial, right? What are three things that you love and hate about Memphis? Man, one thing that I love, I really love about Memphis, and, and it takes you, and you travel, but when you go away from Memphis for like a week, or I'm not talking about like a way away, <laughs> and then you really miss the small things about Memphis, you know, especially like I think we take for granted that, um, the ability, if if you do have a house and you have a yard, 
you know, someone to park your car in a garage or you miss the food, like the simple things. Like when I've been gone for a minute, and no matter how healthy I've been trying to eat, and I come home, like I'm making a beeline for Top's barbecue. You know, I'm making a, I'm, I'm going to get wings. I'm going to get something like we have really great food. Yeah, everything's extremely convenient. And for the most part, when people say Southern hospitality, man, people in Memphis are really pretty friendly for the most part. Um, one of the things that I that I, I despise about the city is I really don't like the reputation that the city has. What really pisses me off is when people talk about, oh, things are so rough. I'm like, man, man, get man, get over that shit. People get robbed everywhere, anywhere, in every city. There's a million people out in, in the surrounding counties, 650,000 in the metro, and then you add in Germantown, Collierville, all the other shit. I mean, you get robbed anywhere. You know what I mean? You get a pistol pulled on you anywhere. But at the same time, it's like that really pisses me off. I think – News media and I think social media has only made that worse because all we see is the worst that's brought out. The other thing is, um, what make what is the mentality of a lot of people in the city is is we have a lot of people that really don't share and really don't promote the city the way it's supposed to be promoted. If we could change the mentality from a lot of people that are check cutters, that are check writers, that are decision makers, to really put the power in the in the, in the right hands and people that can really push the city forward, I think it'll make a huge difference. Um, or where we are in another 200 years, I would hope so. So yeah. the other thing is, you know, Memphis is, I mean, we got a lot of, it's still, you could turn around in any, it, with the, all the good that we have, you can turn on any corner, and there's a lot of fucked up history in the city of Memphis. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ugly shit that happened in the city of Memphis. I think there's a lot of a lot of things that have not changed, and a lot of people have not gotten over 1968. And I'm not saying get over That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that once 1968 happened, I think there's a lot of things that didn't change. The city was beat down backwards so bad mm-hmm. that it it hurt a lot of industry. It helped. It, it it hurt a lot of new business. It hurt a lot of jobs. You know, so all of that and all of that negativity goes toward and it hurts. You know, puts a black eye on our city and what people think about our city. And I really hope that that can change in the next in the next few years. So yeah, and yeah. with you being an influencer, you can help with that. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I'm getting old, man. Somebody got to grab it. Somebody got to snatch these pebbles. Yeah. Well, well, it's good. Like things like the DJ camp that you're doing with the kids. Things yeah. like that. Exposing these kids to what's really going on. Um, that'll help. And and I think that's one of the things, too, that I, I think a few years ago that I saw that, you know, what did I really want to do? And, and not, you know, it's part of your legacy. Something that you can do and that you can do and not really, you know, beat your chest on it. But some certain things that you can do to leave a legacy and leave an imprint on what you've done, except for. Oh, that was the dude on the radio. Well, people don't know what goes on behind these doors and what I do on a day-to-day. You know what I mean? Like, that's a great thing, too. Um, and I, I hope people have great things to say about working with me or, you know, or, or being involved. And, and then the radio thing. Oh, and he had these other things going on, too, you know, as well, though. So I think those are the other things. Like, I'm trying to do more in, with the athletics and the school system, trying to do other things, too. Trying to get some other people to um, to create, like, a scholarship fund for a couple of young men. Um, in the next couple of years. So really just trying to, you know, not just give back, but give back and do the right things for the right reasons. So That's awesome. We learned so much about you on the Verbally Effective Podcast Aww. today, Devin. Thank you for coming. No problem. Tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. Very simple. Um, in this podcast room right here, you see all these plaques. I'm usually here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can't walk up on him at iHeart now. Uh, now, you know what? Um, I mean, you can email me, and it's Devin, D-E-V-I-N-S-T-E-E-L at Gmail or um, at Devin Steele at iHeartMedia.com or very simply Devin underscore Steele on Instagram. You can DM me or hit me on Twitter or any of those wonderful social media platforms. I've tried to make everything um, the same across the board. may deviate a little bit, but I'm not hard to find. I'm a very approachable person if you see me out. Mm-hmm. Um, and always have been through the years. Um, so, you know, that that's also a gift and a curse. 
Yeah. When it <laughs> when it comes to things too. So, yeah. you know, just um, you know, holler me and I tell people all the time. There are people that have um introduced themselves to me in high school that said they're interested in radio and digital media and told them to holler me when they were junior, senior in college and they have and some of those people have gone on to have jobs and careers other places. So, you know, make it happen. Still, thank you so much. Thanks for having for me. Stopping by episode 70 in yeah. the book. It's a milestone.